This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Daryl Chetka, a general internist at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Currently in the United States, one in eight women will be diagnosed with invasive breast cancer over the course of their lifetime. In women who have an increased risk of developing breast cancer, there are lifestyle changes as well as pharmacotherapy available, which can reduce this risk. Today we are pleased to have as our guest Dr. Sandhya Pruthi, an expert in breast cancer and physician working in the Breast Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota at Mayo. Thanks for joining us, Sandhya. Thank you. Let's start by asking you to discuss the risk factors for women developing breast cancer. Well, there's actually quite a few risk factors, and um, the one that's well most well known most often is family history. And of course, um, having a family member, especially a mother, sister, or daughter, um, is a risk factor that doubles your risk for getting breast cancer. And um, that's the one most people remember. But there are other risk factors, including um, reproductive risk factors, is having a late pregnancy or not having children um, that are also important to remember as as risk factors if you're asking individuals about um, how high risk they are for getting breast cancer. And then there are lifestyle risk factors. Um, Obesity is a risk factor um, for breast cancer as well as the use of alcohol in excess and um, a sedentary lifestyle. So um, I um, get asked often, um, how do you rank them or how do you evaluate them all? And there's really no good way to put them all into a calculator today. Um, It's more important to see what Um, risk factors an individual has. And the one that I don't want to forget um, has been the use of hormones, especially estrogen, especially um, after menopause. How do you approach women who have an increased risk for breast cancer? How do you determine how far to go with that information? So here is the um, importance of getting, again, a good history about the different risk factors and then the family history. And um, the third thing that I now do is I use um, risk calculators. Um, There are two probably more well-known risk factor calculators that can be used in the office setting, one known as the breast cancer risk assessment tool, also known as the Gale model. And um, it's a computerized tool that um, clinicians can use in the office. And another one known as the IBIS risk calculator. And it is another one that you can pull up, again, uh, computerized. And it gives us some numbers that help to define if an individual is high enough risk to qualify to be screened with MRI or high enough risk to qualify to receive a drug to prevent breast cancer. Okay. Before we get into the medications available, are there lifestyle changes patients can make to minimize their risk of developing breast cancer? Absolutely. I um, I counsel all my average and high-risk patients about lifestyle. There's good evidence that um, regular exercise, at least 30 minutes, um, three times a week or more, can reduce your risk for breast cancer. Um, again, the alcohol Um, consumption, we advise less than one alcoholic beverage per day. Women who consume two or more a day are at higher risk for breast cancer. And um, the uh, importance of um, weight management, especially postmenopausal obesity. And I I tell them this is 
um, these are lifestyle factors that you can modify, you can control. Um, whereas family history, they can't control. Mm -hmm. So how do you determine which patients may be candidates for pharmacologic therapy or chemo prevention for breast cancer? And, and, I, and I appreciate you using the word um, pharmacotherapy or chemo prevention, um, but we're really getting away from those words. And, and now we are going to the term um, preventive therapy. And, um, and I, I, I highlight that because I often say to patients, if I was to give you a cholesterol pill, if your cholesterol was high, would you take it? Or if you had high blood pressure and I told you we had an uh, 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 antihypertensive, would you take it? And then I say, now I'm going to tell you if you're at high risk for breast cancer, we have a medication that could be considered to reduce your risk for breast cancer. And um, so it really should be more preventive medication is the term. When you use the word chemo prevention, you... Um, you cause some concern because the word chemotherapy is in that word. Mm -hmm, so we want to sure. get away from that word. Um, so um, here's where the value of the Gale model or the breast cancer risk assessment tool that I described has been validated and used in multiple breast cancer prevention trials. And in this model, if the individual had a greater than 1.7% lifetime risk for breast cancer, um, that's how they got into these trials to prevent breast cancer with the drugs that I will um, talk about. And um, there are now guidelines, and um, the U.S. Preventive Task Force, as well as other national guidelines who use a score on this model that says that if an individual is greater than 3% on, um, on this Gale model, they should definitely be um, counseled regarding the use of preventive therapy to reduce the risk for breast cancer. Um, in addition, the same model is used in terms of the FDA approval of a drug called tamoxifen, as well as raloxifene, that has um, the indication that if the Gale model score is greater than 1.7%, the individual is um, it can it should be a candidate for preventive therapy. You mentioned raloxifene and tamoxifen, and, and those were drugs that we've used for many years for osteoporosis, uh, the CIRMs. Yeah. Um, are these the most commonly used medications for prevention? So um, there are two, two types. One are the CIRMs, um, tamoxifen and raloxifene, and there's another group called the aromatase inhibitor, um, which was studied in a large prevention trial known as exemestane. So we have um, uh, two different ways in which one blocks estrogen and the other one reduces the production of estrogen. I seem to recall using CIRMs in the past and a warning of uh, may increase the risk of endometrial cancer. How do you deal with that in preventive strategy? Right. So um, the, the, there are differences. Tamoxifen is the drug that has the um, concern regarding endometrial cancer or uterine cancer. And um, raloxifene, the, that risk is not a concern. So you have two CIRMs that you would um, discuss with the patient um, especially if there's an intact uterus, then one would be um, more likely to be offered raloxifene where the uterine cancer risk isn't a concern versus tamoxifen where that would be. So here is where I take a, a good history about the patient's um, gynecologic history and um, if they've had prior blood clots and if they have a history of osteoporosis. 
um, where um, raloxifene would be beneficial if there's already a history of osteoporosis or osteopenia because it has the combined uh, FDA approval for both prevention of osteoporosis and treatment, but also um, prevention of breast cancer. Mm -hmm. Whereas tamoxifen um, would be um, less likely in somebody who has um, a choice in someone who has osteoporosis. And um, the other consideration here is tamoxifen has a slightly beneficial, um, uh, in terms of reducing breast cancer risk compared to raloxifene. Um, so you, again, have to weigh the risks and benefits, but um, be aware of what the patient's um, personal history is, their medical history, and the patient's um, personal interest about taking a drug. Often these discussions um, come up because the patients are telling me, I want to be more proactive. I want to know what I can do to prevent breast cancer. And that's when I um, start the discussion. It's not an emergent, urgent, you have to start the drug today. These are conversations that take place over six months to a year before the patient's ready to take the mm -hmm. drug. You can hear Dr. Pruthi and other colleagues at the Multidisciplinary Update in Breast Disease course on November 7th through the 9th at Amelia Island, Florida. This course will provide a multidisciplinary update from experts in their field focusing on prevention, evaluation, diagnosis, management, and treatment of benign and malignant breast diseases, high risk, and survivorship issues. Join us weekly here at Mayo Clinic Talks as we discuss best practices and burning questions. Subscribe today using iTunes or your favorite podcasting app. Well, presumably the risk for breast cancer continues throughout a woman's lifetime. Are, how long are these medications used? Well, in all the clinical trials that um, were used um, where these drugs were studied for prevention, the total year, number of years was five years of use, and that's what we recommend today. Okay. Now, are these treatments only effective in decreasing the risk of uh, estrogen receptor positive malignancies? Yeah, exactly. So they're anti-estrogens, so they are, and, and, and when you look at the number of breast cancers that are diagnosed today, 75% are hormone-sensitive and 25% are hormone-negative. So for the fact that majority of cancers that present today are hormone-sensitive, these drugs are beneficial in that group. So we, we are offering it because we don't know what type of cancer that patient may sure, develop in right. their lifetime. So. Um, it is, a, uh, it is an effective way to reduce hormone-sensitive breast cancers. Okay. Is it known how effective these medications are? How much do they actually decrease one's risk? So the numbers we use, and it's always difficult to describe absolute from relative risk. So um, the, the way that uh, the clinical trials uh, have shown the, the findings in terms of reduction is they can reduce breast cancer risk by about 50 to 60% reduction in risk. So um, that's probably the better way to describe it to patients without getting it too complicated. And so we're saying we're not reducing your risk complete. We don't promise 100% risk reduction, but it's about a 50 to 60% risk reduction. The SERMs are at about a 50% reduction and the aromatase inhibitors 60% reduction. So really a significant uh, reduction. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
so they reduced the risk of getting breast cancer. Has there been evidence that has shown they've actually reduced breast cancer mortality? No, none of the trials have actually shown a mortality benefit. And remember, these drugs were taken for five years, so we weren't um, looking at mortality as an endpoint. It was more of a risk reduction and reducing the incidence of breast cancer. Okay. So we're somewhat comfortable using these medications for osteoporosis, or at least many of us are. Uh, are the dosages pretty much the same, or are they different? Yep. No, the exact same doses. So for raloxifene, um, it's prescribed at 60 milligrams a day, and tamoxifen at 20 milligrams a day for prevention, and exemestane at 25 milligrams a day f- uh, for prevention, okay. as, which are the same doses that are used in uh, in the adjuvant therapy session uh, uh, scenarios for women who've had breast cancer to reduce recurrence. The tamoxifen and exemestane doses are the same. Okay. But there is something new, and I will share that with you. Please. So um, there was a an abstract presented at San Antonio, which was a large breast cancer meeting just December, this past December 2018, where investigators in Italy um, have now um, studied in a large group of 500 women um, who had high-risk lesions, not breast cancer, but um, precancerous lesions, and they studied tamoxifen at five milligrams a day for prevention and um, saw a benefit in reducing breast cancer in these um, high-risk lesions. So this is just new on the horizon. We're all trying to figure out. That's a big change from the 20-milligram dose. Um, But it's something that is being explored and being considered in practice. Okay. Well, these medications seem to work with estrogen and so forth, and we know there's an association with hormone therapy and lipids and heart disease. Is there any significant effect in patients with this problem? Lip, already have hyperlipidemia, already have worries of conge- uh, con- uh, coronary artery disease. So the clinical trials, they were looking at the whole spectrum. They were looking at liver enzymes. We would check lipid levels in the CIRM trials and the aromatase inhibitor trials. And um, overall, the um, risk to the lipid profile wasn't as um, concerning. And so it isn't or to heart disease. But there's always that small risk. But today we do not... um, test or, or assess breast cancer, um, who, who gets a prevention drug and start ordering lipid profiles regularly or doing tests to evaluate for coronary disease. These are more um, uh, symptom-based. We'll address if we need to add additional tests or if the patient has um, uh, already an a, a, a elevated lipid profile, we might check to see if this drug could be contributing to it, um, but it isn't um, a requirement that they have to be adding the additional blood work in, in these uh, when taking preventive drugs. Okay. How are women accepting your recommendations to start a medication such as this? Or, uh, I suppose it depends on their risks and their concerns, but are they open to the idea of taking a medication to prevent this? Um, I, again, it's really patient-driven. Um, they're, they're, Family history plays a big role in these women coming to me saying, I'm really concerned, um, or a high-risk lesion. Um, they are the ones who are more likely to be more receptive to the discussion about prevention. Um, the side effect profile doesn't suit everyone, and, and they are there. I just saw one yesterday who said, I'm very, I have a very strong family history, but I just don't want the side effect profile of these drugs. 
And, um, and so you have to respect that and work with your patient. I, I really encourage in, in those who don't take the drug to, con to address the lifestyle modification. Um, I think that we need new ways to individualize risk. I just described calculators. We've done some fun uh, work at Mayo, some new research where we looked at single nucleotide polymorphisms called SNPs, mm -hmm. which are um, <clears throat> combined in a uh, score known as the polygenic risk score that we are now um, in a study. Uh, we're able to offer high-risk women this test to more individualize their risk of potentially being at high risk for breast cancer and um, use that information to guide uh, decision-making about taking drugs, and um, we were finding that women who received this information were actually more receptive to understanding that really does fit my high-risk profile, and um, I would be more inclined to, to take drug, which is really um, the best way I think we should be going at this is finding better ways to individualize risk and then offer drugs when the risk is high enough that the it makes sense to the individual to take the drug. Anything else new on the horizon in this field? You know, I get asked a lot about are there other prevention um, uh, drugs rather than just tamoxifen or raloxifene or exomestane. And um, I think we're all looking for the, the most um, suitable, well-tolerated, no toxicity in terms of um, preventing breast cancer. And um, we don't have that yet. Uh, hopefully there will be something in the future. All right. Yet. We've been talking about breast cancer genomics with Dr. Sandhya Pruthi, a consultant in the Mayo Clinic Breast Diagnostic Clinic. Sandhya, thank you so thank much you. for being here. Thank you very much, Daryl. If you've enjoyed Mayo Clinic Talks podcasts, please subscribe. Stay healthy and see you next week.